there's a lot of history. There's a lot of reasons why there's a natural bend to um, immigrants being entrepreneurs. But there's also this idea of like self-realization or like self-reliance when you come to this country or any country, right? You, you don't know what the support systems are. So what you know is I need to provide for my family. Welcome back to the Worldwise Podcast. I'm your host, Rajika Pandari. And on this show, I bring you my take on the intersections between education, culture, and migration. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that one of the topics I like to explore is how immigrants contribute to their new homes and societies. My guest today is Mike Davis, successful technology serial entrepreneur turned investor who is passionate about education, financial well-being, and bridging the gender and immigrant wealth gaps. In our conversation today, we draw upon Mike's own immigrant background and focus on why immigrants make excellent entrepreneurs and why we should invest in them and their ideas. The statistics are quite staggering. Immigrants have started more than half of America's startup companies valued at a billion or more. And almost 80% of America's unicorn companies, that is privately held billion dollar companies, have an immigrant founder or an immigrant in a key leadership role. Now, before we jump into the conversation with Mike, I'm very pleased to share that Empower Financing is the sponsor for this episode. Empower is the leader in no-cosigner loans for international and DACA students. Many of you know of my own journey as an international student from India. I had been hearing about Empower for some years, but then got to know them much better when I had the opportunity to author their social impact report last year. Check out the show notes for a link to the report. I was amazed to learn that 91% of Empower students say that their loan was imperative to their ability to study abroad and that Empower is having a huge impact on groups such as women who want to pursue STEM fields and is also helping a more diverse group of students study abroad. Empower Financing is headquartered in Washington, D.C. and has helped tens of thousands of students from around the world reach their educational dreams across the U.S. and Canada. Check out www.empowerfinancing.com for more information. That's Empower, which starts with an M, empowerfinancing.com. And now, on to the fabulous conversation with Mike. Mike, welcome to the Worldwise Podcast. It is such an honor and pleasure to have you on today. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Excellent. Now, you know, as I was trying to learn more about you, I was really struck by the fact that there's a very clear global thread running through your life as a serial entrepreneur. And I learned that you've launched companies focused on families in Chile. You've launched a company that focuses on international students and financing. And now you're focusing on immigrant women entrepreneurs. So I couldn't help but wonder that where did this interest in all things global begin for you? 
wow, you have certainly done your research. Um, uh, I, I feel honored. Um, let's see. So where did it start? I think it really um, ch- shifted for me. I've been I've been a serial entrepreneur now for. 20 plus years. I, I I mean, I've lost count of how many businesses I've started, but um, it's really sort of like before Jesus Christ and after Jesus Christ, like before INSEAD and after INSEAD. I, I owe a lot of this like shift in my thinking to um, the time that I spent at INSEAD and to, you know, the uh, folks that uh, I was um, lucky enough to learn from my classmates, the um, professors there and the faculty and the staff, they really kind of pushed me to think about, um, you know, business as a force for good, right? That is the moniker of INSEAD, that is the tagline, but they really do instill that in their students. And so I was thinking about kind of all of the businesses that I had um, launched and ran before INSEAD, and they were really just service concepts, right? So if you think, you know, low CapEx, high OpEx, you manage the margin, a couple simple levers, um, and really not the type of businesses that scale very easily, right? The scale is always linear to the either the number of employees you have, or um, there's always a rate limiter that is um, that forces those service businesses to be one-to-one geared. And, you know, in uh, at INSEAD, you know, it's a very uh, collaborative environment. It's also a very global environment, you know, 500 uh, other you know, I would I would argue smarter than me people were in my class and from all over the world and listening to their stories, their backgrounds uh, really got me thinking about what am I passionate about? What am I trying to do here? And I kind of just made a rule for myself that moving forward, I'm not going to start a business by myself. I'm, if I cannot convince a co-founder, um, then I have no business starting that. Um, and also, right, why not do it globally, right? If there are concepts that work in the U.S., let's find, um, you know, other places that we can geo-pivot into. Um, and I really started embracing this formulaic approach to um business creation and then aligned with my passions right so what you r- correctly pointed out right my the business in chile uh the uh business um financing international students and now olive tree ridge what that um what that threat even i i would add to that even the brief stint that i did at avon right what that has in common is the empowerment of women, right? I, I'm I'm Persian. I'm 100% Persian. You can't tell by my name, but you know it is uh, it is quite a matriarchal culture, right? You know, contrary to what you might read, right? You know, what mom says goes, and um, mm-hmm. and that is not just true for Persian culture, right? It's true for a lot of cultures, and uh, and so I you know realized what a sort of powerful figure my mom was in my upbringing um, in formula forming the person I am today um, and so you know like with Avon for example right the empowering that um, representative right with Zuga in Chile right um, 
you know, the, the issue there was one of inventory management and ERP systems and availability of something as simple as diapers, right? How about this? How about you stay at home and hang out with your child? Your time is better spent as a mom influencing the, you know, kind of early days of your children than shopping for diapers. So I'll bring you the diapers. Don't worry about that. You have more important things to do. Um, and then same thing with um, uh, Empower and now Olive Tree Ridge. If you think about Maslow's pyramid, right? You're, you know, once it's that hierarchy mm-hmm. of needs, right? And education right. is a right. It is not a privilege. It is a right. And, you know, it's like when you think about that, um, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel my blood pressure going up, right? Like these amazingly talented people are worthy of admissions to top tier universities, but they are somehow not deserving of financing, right? I'll take that bet. I don't know a single immigrant that doesn't pay their bills, right? It's just, especially when it comes to education, right? Especially when, I mean, you know, I, I give this a uh, very like vivid, uh, I use this example of tea bags as a very vivid example of like, you need to have lived experience as an immigrant or in an immigrant community to understand why uh, Manu and I were very comfortable taking that bet, right, at Empower. And now at OTR, right, what we're doing is we're creating um mechanisms to bridge that gender wealth gap, that immigrant wealth gap, creation of generational wealth based on the hard work of that first generation immigrant to the U.S. So let me stop there. So much to unpack there, yeah. so much yeah. to unpack. And you're so right about immigrants. I mean, the other thing I always say about immigrants is that they're going to be incredibly honest. They're not the ones who are going to cheat and do all sorts of uh, bad things because they're also always concerned about the authorities because, you know, um, having been an international student and an immigrant, I can I can vouch for that myself, that you're always, always worried about sticking to the rules and um, yep. not straying outside of uh, outside of them. So yeah, so we'll come back to all of that later. But I want to dig into something that you just touched upon very briefly. And uh, you talked about being 100% Persian. So I'm, a, I'm curious about that, that as yep. you as you uh, talk and think about immigration, what is your own family's journey? And also, how did you end up at INSEAD? So were you an international student there? Well, I think everyone is an international student at INSEAD. Um, so let's see. True. So let, let's start with uh, let's start with the first half of that question. Yeah. So uh, you know, hundred percent Persian. My family left just like millions of others, right? Immediately after the revolution, there was a flight from the country, and um, not airplane flight. What I mean is exodus from the country, and. Uh, and and yeah, it was very difficult to um, get um, you know visa or permission, legal permission to come to the states. Actually, the my earliest memories of education um, it was uh, going to kindergarten in Germany. Right, we spent time in Germany and mm-hmm. Spain, and in in and and you know it was really for one reason, which is we would just go to all of these U.S. consulates trying to get a visa to come to the States. 
And, you know, they're not so inclined when revolutionaries take the American embassy hostage as they did in 1979. Um, thankfully, my dad um, did receive his PhD here um, in the U.S. Um, and through a miracle, uh, we were able to get um, uh, permission to enter the country. And um, again, as you pointed out, right, it's 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 like a gift, right? It's a it's a gift to um, be able to kind of reestablish yourself in America or, you know, anywhere that an immigrant decides to emigrate to. Um, and so that was the beginning of what became a familial focus on education. I remember coming mm -hmm. home from, you know, kindergarten in the U.S. So I went to kindergarten twice, right? That's the funny haha, -ha, right? I was you know, held back. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But um, I, I'd come back um, from school and there would be homework that my parents would assign, right? So in addition to um, the schoolwork, right, there was homework, right? And there was a focus on playing the piano and playing the guitar and, you know, playing, I played the clarinet, um, you know, and it's, yeah, and it, it really comes down to discipline. It comes down to, and what I realize now is work ethic, right? You know, that you have a job to do, right? And as a child, I learned that my job was the schoolwork. My job was my chores. My jobs, my jobs were, jobs were multiple, but they were, there was an accountability thread throughout all of it. There was a, you know, kind of a, you know, level of, Right, you're going to sit down and you're gonna play the piano for X number of minutes every single day, and you know it's that same work ethic that I think I uh, still benefit from today. Um, so that's that's the beginnings of that journey. Fast forward, all of that work that my parents um, really just um, invested in me. Right, that that uh, it's not just me and all my siblings. Right, they and, and it's not just my parents. It's insert any immigrant parent, they will focus on their children's education. And in our case, what ended up happening is uh, my sister and I, we ended up graduating high school at the age of 14. I was 14, my sister was 13. And we wow. um, got admissions to Purdue um, University. And Purdue, uh, as part of their admission package, said, hey, listen, we're not going to have a 14-year-old living in the dorms, right? Your parents need to move with you. And that's the that's the level of commitment that I'm very appreciative that my parents, um, you know, did follow through on and allowed us to kind of go to Purdue where, where we both studied, actually, we both studied the same major, computer and electrical engineering. Um, um, I have, uh, I, I, I took an additional year where I also um, did three minors and um, um, yeah, th uh, three additional minors. And then I took a job at Sapient um, in New York, where was the beginning of my kind of eyes being open to consulting this idea of like solutions led um, selling, right? Listening to what the actual problem is. The, the actual problem is quite often different than the stated problem. Um, and that was where the beginning of my love for technology and, uh, you know, problem solving came. Uh, I did, you know, um, sev several um, businesses between uh, the time I graduated undergrad and the time I went to INSEAD. Where INSEAD came into play is in 2000 and nine or so 
I remember getting a phone call from my sister and I was sitting in my office in New York and she's like, how you doing? I'm like, I am exhausted, right? I'm like, I'm tired. And she's like, why? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm running three, at this time I was running three companies in parallel. Forget about being a serial entrepreneur. I was a parallel entrepreneur. And I finally, <laughs> like, I mean, it was, it was insane. I was running a software business, a construction business and a photography business. And um, yeah, and my sister was like, it's, you're an idiot, right? Like the, the, the reason you're exhausted is because you don't know what you don't know. Um, Bill Gates does not have 5,000 companies. He has one and he learned to scale that. You need to go back to school. The FT has just come out with their rankings. Why don't you go get yourself a copy of that um, uh, paper and, uh, and, and, and look into it. And, uh, and I did. Right. I applied to the top 10 schools in the U.S. I applied to the top two schools internationally, and um, I, I chose an additional one as my safety school. Um, and uh, and I was just really I had never heard of INSEAD before. That's a whole different podcast. That's a whole different issue. <laughs> but uh, I had never heard of INSEAD before. Um, and the you know, sort of experience there was. I would apply, right? I, I, I took three months off to apply to these schools. It was 13 schools, 13 packages, a GMAT that I had to study for. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of work. And and uh, the rule I made for myself is like, at, if the school um, offered me an interview, I would go visit that campus, right? As part of my commitment to like understanding that school environment. And you know, it's absolutely true. Everything you read about, like, once you're in that kind of tier of school, the academics are all the same, right? What you're really focused on is the culture. And those the, these top 10 schools and the top two internationally, they have, you know, much different cultures. They're, they're It's on a spectrum. Um, and you're going to find the one that just feels right. And INSEAD, I tell you, I had never been to France before. Uh, you know, there's a lot of firsts for me in that visit to INSEAD's uh, French campus, but it was the only school that required you to speak three languages as a precondition to admission. And I'm like, are you are you kidding me? Like, I a school that values the fact that I speak four languages? Like, are you what? Right? Like, you know, what are the other students like? Right? And that was that was what or the what are the other people who apply there what are they gonna be like and that was um incredible experience for me and i really felt at home and that's that's part of why i um you know kind of continue to be involved at the school i you know i, I was the president of the alumni association here in the u.s for the for three years um and I continue to, you know, serve on their board and yeah, it's, 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 it's great, but, uh, it's the, the education there was more than just the academics. It's really, I, I always say like, if you think my ideas are smart, wait till you meet my friends, right? Like they're smarter than me. Right. And so that like, it's, it shouldn't be a secret, right? Where these, where, what the, this nature and the source of my ideas are because I'm fortunate enough to have incredibly smart people around me um, and, uh, and globally and global in nature. Right. So the, um, that's, uh, mm -hmm. I guess the educational journey. That's a great story. So the four languages are, let me guess, uh, Farsi, German, English, and? 
What's the fourth? Very close. Uh, very close. You got the Farsi, you got the English, um, Spanish, mm-hmm. and Russian. Oh, wow. So actually five languages. That's that's incredible. Um, that's incredible. Five, five, no, e- English. So Farsi is my mm-hmm. native. English, Spanish, mm-hmm. Russian. Oh, sorry. Okay, so I I, I uh, guessed wrong with German because I know you mentioned being in Germany as yeah. uh, as a child. No, that's that's fabulous, and you're so right that you know that's one piece that's getting really lost these days as we think about the movement of students yeah. um, and the importance of language. Where um, unfortunately or fortunately, many countries um, in Europe now are offering you know even full degree programs now taught in English so that they can attract more American students which in one way is a good thing that more students will go abroad, but the downside is that they're not in any way compelled to learn a foreign language. So I'm glad you pointed that out. And so it it is at INSEAD in, in that you connected with uh, Manus Maja, your co-founder of uh, Empower. That's right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Mike, let's... Um, let's talk about Olive Tree Ridge, your current company of all the many companies you founded. It's your current company. And so just to get us started, because I really want to come to the issue of women very soon. But to get us started, how would you explain just in very simple terms for the layperson, what exactly Olive Tree Ridge does and what is its focus? And also tell us where the name comes from, because I was quite intrigued by the name. Um, um, sure. Um, Olive Tree Ridge is uh, a project that I started three years ago and has it's gone through its own evolution. Um, today, Olive Tree Ridge is an asset management business and a investment bank. So um, w- the mission of Olive Tree Ridge is to remove barriers for women and immigrants. That's barriers for, um, you know, wealth creation, bridging the income um, gap, uh, and creation of generational wealth, right? So w- what, what do we do? It's, it's, it's quite simple, right? We invest in women-owned and immigrant-owned businesses. We have several strategies, right? So for example, majority control buyout is one, early stage um, venture a- equity is one. We are exploring other strategies like private credit, Um, And then on the investment banking side, we connect, again, women entrepreneurs, immigrant entrepreneurs with capital markets. As they go to access capital to to grow their companies, they're going to need equity. They might potentially need debt. And so we stood up an investment bank to um, kind of bridge that. Uh, need for them. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and really the idea there is like, it is possible to go to Wall Street, go to the markets to raise equity. It is not just for a few, it is for the masses. And, and, uh, and the idea here is um, by staying focused on women and immigrants, right, we're able to do, uh, to have the impact, to drive the mission. Um, and so it's all kind of like self-fulfilling. And where does the name come from? Well, Olive Tree Ridge. That's an interesting story. Actually, I was once uh, in Spain talking to an investor uh, of Empower and um, uh, hanging out with him, getting to know him a bit more um, and answering his questions as to their trajectory of Empower, what we hope to do. Um, And he turns to me and says, you know, you should really start your own fund. 
And I looked at him and I said, this is a very strange conversation to have. You just, you just invested in my current project and you are encouraging me to, you know, kind of think about my next chapter. Uh, and he, I mean, he's a, he's a phenomenal guy. We are um, the greatest of friends. And uh, I just remember looking over and seeing a whole bunch of olive trees. Um, and I'm like, this is I, I want to mark this moment. This is a very interesting moment for me. It's, it's. Uh, I had never thought about running a fund. I had never even, um, it never even occurred to me that I could scale my entrepreneurial operating experience in this way. And so it's uh, really just a nod to him and, uh, you know, really kind of put, uh, and just thanking him for uh, pushing my thinking on that. That's uh, That's where the name comes from. That's a beautiful story. And um, if I'm not mistaken, of course, olive trees and olive branches symbolize um, uh, a great deal as well. I think primarily peace, right? right. That's right. I think so. Yeah. So that's uh, quite symbolic as well. So um, let's talk about women entrepreneurs and particularly immigrant women. And this is a topic I really love. So I've been very excited to have this conversation with you. So why the focus on um, immigrant women? And also, what do you think are some major barriers that that uh, immigrant women entrepreneurs face? And I'm going to add sort of a, a third part to that is that are these barriers any different from what women in general face in, um, say, in the U.S.? Yeah, man, I love your questions. Okay, so let's uh, <laughs> let's take let's take it from the top, right? So why the focus on women and immigrants? It's I just I, again I go back to thinking about the influence that my mom had on my upbringing. And, you know, thinking about the typical immigrant journey, right? Well, you know, if you think about that first generation immigrant coming to the U.S., right, they are, as you pointed out, right, but they're, they're very nervous. They're very kind of rule followy. They have an idea of what the rules are. They have an idea of what the constraints are as informed by their own community, right? And so you see, you see, um, you know, sort of the, same types of businesses um, along ethnic lines, right? I'll make uh, I'll use uh, Persians as an example, right? Why why do you see Persian Persians owning you know carpet stores? Why do you see them owning car dealerships, right? It's because that's what that community knows. Like when they when they um, come to this country, right? They often you know English is not their first language. They don't know how to navigate the job markets. And so they are often employed by uh, members of their own community. And it's not just that, but, you know, they, it's also the drive that entrepreneurial drive is supported by an informal lending, informal access to credit provided by that community. Right. So again, like follow that story along. Right. So here you are now you're, you've landed, you've created your business. It's a small business. And, and then what you got to feed your family. Right. So you're focusing on those fundamentals, right? The fundamentals that we talk to entrepreneurs about all the time, those unit economics, you buy for one, you sell for two, buy for one, sell for two. And then and then what? And then you're providing for your family. And so now your kids grow up, right? Your kids grow up and you're focusing on education. And then what? 
right? Those kids go to amazing schools. Those kids then graduate. You don't want those kids coming back and working at the shop. You want them to go work at those companies so that you, you know, you can brag to your friends, right? And just the same thing, you know, my parents do, right? And, but what happens to the shop, right? What happens to that shop is very interesting to me, right? Like the, that first generation is going to age out. And without there being a, like a exit path, a succession plan, all that value is destroyed, right? Or it's not all of it's destroyed, but let's say that value that's created um, is underappreciated. And so that was the first idea. That majority control strategy was our first strategy. Why not give um, uh, education, right? Like bring, instead of using the an asymmetry of information, in a predatory manner, why not educate that entrepreneur and say, this is how businesses get valued, right? Here is what an A-grade, you know, financials look like, A-grade operational playbook looks like. Here's what it would look like to do a transition. If these things were true, these are the multiples you could expect and actually provide them with market competitive multiples. And so, you know, again, that's just one strategy. The other strategies, right, again, um, early stage equity, for example, or even private credit um, strategies that we're exploring today, right? What, then why the focus on women and immigrants? Because like they historically have had to sort of rely on their own sort of grit to get access to this type of capital. When in fact, right, the broader market is always looking for, you know, uh, yield seeking opportunities, right? For like credible, um, consistent income streams. Why not connect the two, right? And so that's where that, that that's where the uh, um, kind of idea to stand up an asset management business and an investment bank came from. But the particular focus on women and immigrants is because these are barriers. These are barriers are, you know, sort of um, they exist in their minds, right? It's not, it, it might not actually be true. And that's where the fun is, right? That's, that's why I enjoy coming to work every day, right? It's like, let's, what's the problem we're solving today? Let's go and see what the market says. And it, it, it's, it's quite fun, right? I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, so that's the answer to your first question. Um, answer to your second question, right? What are some of the barriers? Um, I think some of it is, right? Like when I think about Wall Street, when I think about capital markets, some of it is, you know, it's, it's where math meets relationships, right? And if you think about the typical immigrant, they they can put a check in that box on math, right? They they understand math, and you know they understand relationships, but and they're very good at maintaining relationships. But these are different relationships. So you know, kind of explaining to them the culture of capital markets, the culture of speaking to a debt provider. It is different than say speaking to an equity investor. And so my job is to educate, right? Like I don't, I don't talk about, uh, not, it's not that I don't talk about, but I don't, it, it's not for me to decide 
the quality or the price that they should um, receive in the markets. That's for the markets to say, and that's for the entrepreneur to agree to. But let me at least show you how these relationships can help. Um, and so um, some of those barriers are the same as barriers that women um, and other entrepreneurs, just a larger entrepreneurial demographic experience. Some of it's the same, but some of it is uniquely um, like it's unique to their being an immigrant, right? Maybe they're not as fluid as um, others in the, you know, market speak, right? The financial speak, right? They don't think in terms of EBITDA. They think in terms of profit, right? And, you know, it's somewhat similar, but it's, it's nuanced, right? And, you know, so that's, that's sort of like looking at the glass half empty. The glass is also half full, right? Immigrants by nature do things like that are incredible and that they don't get, I think, the credit that they deserve, right? Like, you know, I don't care what your spreadsheet says. There is no way you are going to get additional earnings, additional margin in an immigrant-owned business. If there was margin to be had, that immigrant woman would have found it. And so at best, the best outcome you can hope for is maintaining that margin, maintaining it, right? The likely outcome is you're not going to be able to run it as capital efficiently as that immigrant lady did because she has a different priority than you. She had to feed her family. What I'm trying to do or what other private equity firms do is they're trying to grow that EBITDA to then sell it onward, right? And you know, a lot of my work is how do we structure something, you know, using either structured finance, different instruments um, to allow us to own that business, maintain that ownership for, for longer than just a typical closed end fund duration. Um, mm -hmm. So um, that's uh, maybe answer to questions two and three, <laughs> part, part two and three <laughs> of your question. No, absolutely. You you hit on all those um, all those important points, um, and you know, just to share some um, pretty striking statistics, which of course I'm sure you're um, just as uh, you're equally familiar with. But you know, um, and these are of course these statistics, of course, are referring to the big, big, uh, large companies and not accounting for all of the smaller businesses, some of the family run businesses, like some of the types that you described. But today, almost 45% of Fortune 500 companies in the US were founded by immigrants yeah. or their children. And one out of four or a quarter of billion dollar startups in the US were founded by a former international student. So I think those statistics just support everything that you've been saying that when we think about what um, entrepreneurship and innovation in the U.S. has looked like over the past several decades. To be quite honest, a lot of it has been driven by immigrants. And I think everything you just described um, really supports that. But um, sort of just one quick question. Uh, I, in various parts of our conversation, I think you've touched upon why um uh, you know, why, why are immigrants so successful at being entrepreneurs? And I know you talked about um, 
what was it? You've talked about mindset issues. You've talked about the work ethic. Are there any are there any other reasons that you think uh, sort of explain why we've seen this tremendous success? Or why is it that immigrants are drawn to the idea of entrepreneurship? Well, I think the the positive framing on that is um, it's it's very much uh, a cultural thing, right? It's um, you know if you think about history, right? If you think about the Silk Road, right? If you think about, you know, I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of examples going all the way back, right? And, and, um, you know, and, uh, this is, this is not a topic for this podcast. But if you think about like, even the origins of religion, and, you know, kind of the, the way that different people interacted, right? And then kind of fast forward, right? Like, Dutch, and their trading, um, and, you know, why were the Dutch so trusted in the, you know, as the like spokesperson, they're the original shareholders, right? No, well, not the original, but they are, they were shareholders and representing your interests. How did they establish that trust, right? And so I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of reasons why there's a natural bend to um, immigrants being entrepreneurs, but there's, also this idea of like self-realization or like self-reliance when you come to this country or any country, right? You, you don't know what the support systems are. So what you know is I need to provide for my family. I, it's me, myself, I, we as my, um, you know, family unit needs to work and work hard. And this is, you know, again, I'm using us as the example. This is why this is the land of opportunity, the rule of law, right? It's well understood. There's a framework. The framework's well understood. If I just follow these rules, I can have a quote unquote American dream, whatever that is, however that manifests. But I think that's the, that's um, at least what I have found to be true. Beautifully put. And I completely agree that it's that idea of sort of the many different variants of the American dream. So, um, Mike, my last question for you, and this has just been such a fabulous conversation, but my last question for you, um, and I always like to have my guests offer their wisdom and their advice. So <laughs> um, given everything that you have uh, done in your life thus far, what would be your top three pieces of advice, two to three pieces of advice for immigrant entrepreneurs? Um, you're too kind. I think uh, maybe I'll start with the disclaimer. This advice is probably worth exactly what you're paying for it, right? So um, yeah, I, I guess I'll start with, you know, Trust in your lived experience, right? The lived experience is quite informative. It informs your values. It informs your passions. Um, when you build a business that is based on your values and based on your experience, especially that lived experience, you have more authenticity, authority than you know, right? That, that passion um, also serves as a very renewable source or non-depleting source of energy that you're going to need to get through the inevitable tough times of starting a new business. So that's, I guess, um, advice number one, don't discount your lived experience. Sure, it's in a different country. Sure, maybe it was a different time. But um, I guess that leads to like advice number two, the fundamentals of business still hold true. Focus on those fundamentals, 
right? Without positive unit economics, nothing's happening, right? Nothing's happening, right? You got to buy for one and sell for two. That was true in your country. It's true here. It's true in most places in the world, right? You got to buy for one and sell for two, then worry about scale, right? What's very interesting, and we looked at like 800 businesses in the first 18 months, um, women-owned, immigrant-owned businesses. They did not have most of them did not have accounting systems and websites and you know uh, chat bots and things like that. Most of them, their financials were in their pocket. They ca- they carried them with them, right? So you know, like this level of sophistication that these Google ads or you know what society leads you to believe they are like you know table stakes, like absolute necessities. They are not right? You, your financials are just fine, right? If you're tracking them, as long as you're tracking them consistently, right? Just focus on those fundamentals. You're, you're going to be um, just fine and then scale. So fundamentals first, then scale. And I guess last would be get a coach or a mentor or an advisor that, and more, most importantly, that shares your values, right? You got to, the, the value alignment is super critical, right? Um, you know, I go back to thinking like when uh, when Manu and I started Empower, he and I had hundreds and thousands of decisions that needed to be made. We couldn't be involved in each of them. But the fact that we were mission aligned, the fact that we were values aligned means that there's an inherent trust that comes with that, right? He's going to make the right decision. It might be different than the one I make, but like we're headed in the right, in the same direction. And so that's what I would encourage you to think about is, you know, get an advisor, get a coach, a mentor that shares your values. And then that, and then, you know, that value alignment also will lead to hopefully an authentic relationship where you can be vulnerable and you can say, Hey, I don't actually know what this means. Can you explain it? Um, You know? uh, Yeah. I, I spend a disproportionate amount of my day just explaining things, right? And it's not like that. I think that's really what investment banking is, right? You're explaining capital markets. That's really what asset management is. You're explaining what it, what value creation in a business um, looks like. What are the variables? And in, in, in a way that uh, folks can um, understand in a way that it is accessible um, and not intimidating, right? It's not this world of finance, right? No, no. Finance is just math and relationships. Let's be very clear, right? And you already got the math part down. And with the relationships, right, you're, you're going to be all set. So that, that would be my three pieces of advice. All excellent pieces of advice. I love the point about mentorship and a coach and uh, being values aligned. And I will say that just everything that you were sharing, I, I, I was soaking it in as you were as you were speaking because you know I, after many years in the nonprofit sector, pivoted a couple of years ago, and I'm running my own small little fledgling but growing business yeah. now. And uh, everything you said made so much sense, especially 
the idea of being authentic and um, and each day waking up and working on issues that you really care about. And that's what sort of really gives one the energy yeah. and uh, motivation to keep moving forward. So thank you for that wonderful, wonderful advice. And uh, Mike, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and uh, to have had you on the show today to share your wisdom. So thank you so very much for coming on the Worldwide podcast very welcome thank you again for having me what a fun conversation with mike i loved hearing about his own journey of education of becoming an immigrant and also his forays into various ventures if you enjoyed this conversation also be sure to listen to episode 19 of the podcast which featured Ronit Avni of Localized and where we talked about entrepreneurship, global talent and immigrant diasporas. And of course, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and also grab a copy of my book, America Calling, a foreign student in a country of possibility, whose themes are reflected in everything we talk about in this podcast. And last but not the least, this episode was brought to you by the generous support of Empower Financing, which provides no cosigner loans and scholarships for international DACA and refugee students. To date, Empower has helped tens of thousands of students fund their educational dreams and journeys. Be sure to check them out at www.empowerfinancing.com. That's Empower, starts with an M, empowerfinancing.com. Thanks as always for listening. I'm your host Rajika Bhandari and I look forward to being back with you soon with another episode on how education helps connect our hearts and minds to the world.